podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, another day, I, another video podcast. Today I am chatting to a world-renowned author. <laughs> you like that, Leo? Um, Leo Moynihan. Leo, nice to meet you. How are you, Gav? I'm all right. We're not seeing each other for a long time. We've been catching up. Um, okay, just before we get in, just um, if you're watching this on YouTube, just give us a subscribe and click the like button for uh, so that Google knows that you you like our content. Leo, you've bu- written a book, just released a book actually, haven't you? Um, which is "Thou Shalt Not Pass." I love the uh, I love the title, "The Anatomy of a Football Centre Half." Um, before I ask you what inspired you to write the book, I mean, what's your background? Tell, tell you know, let's let's have a chat about what sort of things you've done prior. Uh, well, I'm, I've been a sports writer for about God, makes me feel old, but over two decades now. Um, I got into it, worked for lots of. I've been freelancing for about that time, so I started at Four Four Two Magazine, right, which is still going, and I still do a lot of work for them. The, the industry's changed a lot over the years in terms of freelancing, but I've got into more and more the publishing side books. So I've done quite a few books over the last fifteen years, uh, several on Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool Football Club, who I support, and recently did a book on Shankly, Busby, and Steen, and how their lives intertwine, intertwined. Called the Three Kings. Nice. Which is a brilliant documentary out at the moment as well, that run alongside the book uh, made by Johnny Owen, who's a great filmmaker, great sports documentary maker. And then it's a book that's always been on my mind. Uh, always been fascinated with centre halves. Sort of played amateur level. Got mud on Hackney Marsh. Is in the, underneath there, looked at all these sort of brutish types who, you know, with, with huge sort of foreheads and broken noses. But how are these people still? How do people dick? Because even at the elite level, down down to that level on the marshes, people think of centre halves in a certain way, don't they? As possibly the players that can't play and are there to stop and stick their head in the way of anything that moves and destroy the beautiful game in a way. They were the kind of, I've, I think I've put it in the book, that they're the ugly pimple on the nose of the beautiful game. <laughs> so I really, I really want to get into the character and look at the, uh, and look at the, look at what make these guys tick and, you know, give, give a, celebrate them in a way. Of course. I mean, there's some fantastic quotes that I, I, I've made a note of. I mean, particularly um, the, the, the particular story about Mark Lawrenson uh, Jack Charlton not thinking that Mark Lawrenson could play at centre half because he was too good. Yeah. Well, Jack Jack actually said a number of times that he never trusted centre halves who thought they could play. Right. He wanted a centre half who stopped people playing, which which is so ironic to me because Jack Jack's most famous partnership was next to Bobby Moore. Yeah. He most sort of thought of creative cultural centre half, but. Jack wasn't having it. And actually, Norman Hunter at, at Leeds was a, was a great ball player. And Jack himself could play. We think of him as the mad, called him the mad giraffe, didn't he? But he wasn't a bad player. But as a manager, I guess, when your job's on the line, he wasn't having any of that. If you were, thought you had these... Even Paul Maguire, great ball-playing mm-hmm. centre-half, you're, you're, you're not playing back there for me, son. I think it was <laughs> the first meeting Loro had with... Um, with Jack, they all met. Uh, they all met in a hotel in England just to get to know the new island manager. And they had a first training session. And he told him, "You'll, ne- you'll never play centre half for me." And he was like, "Oh, 
why? You know, he's got this great reputation, winning European Cups and trophies. And everybody says, you're too good. I want you to, <laughs> you'll be my midfielder. So he used to play Paul Maguire and Loro a lot in midfield together. Midfield. Well, I mean, can he play? I remember Loro playing in midfield. Well, Loro was very, he, I mean, Loro started at left back, I think, and under Paisley. And then mm-hmm. um, Kenny would use him a lot in different positions. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Just, um, I want to go back to one of the things that I picked up on, and maybe like the people who were younger. So, I mean, this is this predates me and you, to be fair. So, there was, talk to me about Edwin Cross and explain to the listeners why the way they used to play back in the day. It was the format. I mean, we're used to four, four, two, four, three, three, three. You know, it was two, three, five, or two, two, six, or one, two, seven. You even wrote down at one point two, eight. I think sometimes <laughs> really was and. The emphasis was clearly on goals and attack. And it was a very sort of tactics hadn't really come into the story. I I have one chapter on the tactics and how they've changed on centre half and started with Edwin Cross's story, who was just an obscure footballer who I found who I think he preferred to play cricket. But he did play in a Welsh Cup final for Wrexham back in the 1800s. So, yeah, just before me and yours time. And he he was a sort of centre forward in a way, but the the, the manager and him as a captain discussed it and said, if you just step back a bit and become a centre-half, which still wasn't what we understand in the centre-half, it was just, you could, he could see the play a bit and he could get on the ball and probably just boot it into a very packed box. But still, it just started showing signs of some sort of um, culture there. And that was the sort of how the centre-half started. But, and then, I mean, Liverpool had, had their first sort of superstar was a guy called Alex Raisbeck, mm-hmm. captain Liverpool to their first title in the early 1900s. And he he was sort of, I, I think I've described him as a mixture of Stephen Gerrard and Sammy Huppia. If you can imagine that sort of big blonde guy, he was a Scot, Scottish guy like most of the players were back then. And he was he was this sort of Edwardian superhero. Liverpudlians absolutely adored him. You know, yeah. he'd, be, he'd they'd cheer his name as he got off the train at Lime Street. He was a big, big hero. And he was... This sort of, they were sort of playmakers, the centre half, but also stoppers. They were sort of the complete. I guess what we'd see as Stephen Gerrard in our minds. Well, there's, are. There's, at some stage in the book, there's a transition from calling it a centre half to yeah. a centre back, isn't there? And that. Well, yeah. You see, I, I've had to make that point because I know a lot of purists. Because even on the cover of my book, it says the anatomy of the centre half, and I've said I've simply just kept it centre half for me because that's a personal selfish thing. I call them centre halves. Yeah, and I know now with with four four two and two at the back, they became centre backs. But I just think centre half sounds a little bit more romantic and sort of. You know. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. I completely understand that. Um, one of the things that I picked up as well. I mean, obviously, this is going to be very Liverpool centred because we're Liverpool fans and we're a Liverpool thing. But you know, some of the stuff from Carragher in the book. Um, you know, he used to obsess over the goals against Colum. Yeah. Uh, and if he played well and the, he conceded, that wasn't enough. He was devastated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, get, you get into the culture and the, and the mindset of centre-halves, and I think they've got to have Carra's sort of way of thinking because you want to come off the pitch. If you win, if you win 5-2, there's got to be a slight... Oh. You, you often see you 5-0 up and you let a goal in, you see someone like Carra go, you know what I mean? Yeah, just, yeah. He's upset with himself. And in a way, a centre-forward... They might not admit it, but if you win 5 0 and he hasn't scored, he's not going to be cock a hoop. Completely. completely. And you want that a little bit, don't you? Yeah, completely. Carol told, told me a great 
thing that they used to remember. I think they still have it. The, the Golden Glove, the Golden Glove Award. <laughs> I remember reading that. <laughs> they give it to goalies, don't they? And it, Pepe Reina uh, would get it. I think it was for clean, most clean sheets. Three seasons in a row, he got it, didn't he? Under Rafa, because they were really very well organised. Right, yeah. And uh, Carragher, him and he said, me and Hippia would go off and go. Why has he got that bit of gold? <laughs> With a big golden glove, and he was like, "I've been sticking my head in the way of everything." He has had a shot to save, so yeah, you you do want that Carragher mindset, and and we are, you know, moving forward, and we can come to tactics later if you want. But are, are we losing that in our centre halves? Are they being asked at the elite level to to maybe not worry so much about clean sheets, even though they, you know, they're obviously the top players are keeping lots of them. Well, that, that's that's one of the things that Carragher says in the book. It, it's not enough. It seems to be not enough to just stop them scoring now. They have to play. But then doesn't Virgil van Dijk counteract that, saying, well, if you watch the, the the Champions League final against Tottenham, that's backs to the wall. And that's and that's what him and uh, Matip are doing in that game. Absolutely, yeah. Because I, I guess in the, the amazing streak of form van Dijk has shown since he arrived at Anfield, there haven't been games when Liverpool have been under the cost that we can think of. And actually, I said that to, to Virgil when I interviewed him for the book and he he did suddenly quickly say, what about Tottenham in the European Cup final? I thought, God, actually, that second half, whilst, yeah. whilst it wasn't, oh my God, they, you know, you get that feeling as a fan, oh, they're going to score here in a minute. But yeah. it, it was, you know, it, it, they, they were build, building up pressure, bringing on, bringing on more attacking subs. And I think what Matip and Van Dijk did that night was make it look calm, under pressure. And that must do wonders for one, your goalie and us fans, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a theme running through the book that different continents see the position differently. And then we're talking about Virgil van Dijk. He's obviously from Holland and he's from mainland Europe and he's probably, well, they call him the best defender in the world. And, you know, who am I to argue? And he's probably the archetypal modern centre-back, yeah. would you say? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he... He was telling me, I mean, the, the Dutch culture, obviously, we think we think of just pure total football and everyone rotating and be everyone getting on the ball. But Virgil said, because he started at a smaller club, not one of the elite PSV or um, Ajax, he said when he went to train with the, the Dutch under-19s, I think he was 17 and he got into the Dutch under-19s, he was shocked by because most of the players in that group were from the two big clubs. And he was shocked how much centre-halves were being asked to play because he hadn't been taught as a kid to do that. Yeah. He, it's, his hero was Ronaldinho, funny enough. He, he wanted to play like him and probably could do if he wasn't so big. But um, it, he had to sort of learn a Dutch way in a way. And that European cultural centre-half is, is very different to how we see it, mm. I think. Um, Chris Waddle went out to play for Marseille and he, Waddle has always wanted English defenders to play in a certain continental way. I remember he was very uh, loud about it in the 1990 World Cup. He wanted to play with sweepers and ball, get Terry Butcher and Mark Wright on the ball and Des Walker. And he, he, just, he, was, he loved how a French, a French centre-half wouldn't smack him from behind like you're allowed to in those days. And that's his English centre-halves loved it. They'll have that first one's free and all that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they would time it and step in front of you and be off. Yeah. And as Liverpool fans, we probably didn't realise just what quality we were watching in the 80s with Alan Hansen, because that's what Alan did. Mm. You, didn't, you didn't see Alan come in and scythe someone down. You didn't see... I mean, Loro jokes in the book about how 
uh, we, we used to tell Hanson just to give his kit to run him to run him around and not bother washing it because yeah. <laughs> he didn't get money and uh, he would there's lots of occasions where you look back on old games and old goals and they're started by Hanson nipping in and and that was his way of tackling but but momentum takes him forward and Liverpool the game, isn't it yeah yeah um well just on that you know you Carragher said that he centre halves don't do as much work as say your midfielders or your forwards but he said the mental fatigue and I found that fascinating you know that if you think the concentration you cannot switch off for a minute because at the top level someone's looking for someone switching off anyway and if you do switch off that and that mental fatigue goes game after game after game what what was he what did he say to you about that yeah that's that fascinated me because yeah centre-halves don't do all the running that the other p- positions do, even in the modern game, you know. So you'll find they're not really rotated, but my God, the mental stuff they go through, I think. Cara, if we think of that time under under Rafa Benitez, and uh, let's take the run to, to Istanbul and the game in Istanbul itself, mm-hmm. Cara Gunhupia must have been absolutely exhausted every, every night after those games because it was just... One, they were playing the, throughout the run. They played against the top strikers in in the world. Basically, they, I think Berbatov was at Leverkusen. Um, Rivaldo was at uh, Olympiacos. Uh, obviously, Shevchenko in the final with Crespo. Drogba in the semi final. And those games, there were moments in uh, Ibrahimovic against Juventus, getting nil nil in Turin. That that nil nil in Turin is just any young centre half should watch that game and see how two people are switched on talking, organising. Yeah. You know, Igor Biscan's in front of them and he's, he looks like Didier Deschamps, doesn't he? I mean, he'd be in, he just everywhere is be there, be there, be there. Yeah. And we, we'll all think about that 2005, you know, with just miracles and Steven Gerrard, you know, doing that in the crowd and all that. But it is based on, on Carragher and Hippie. I, I, I will argue that. And the final itself, his cramped legs and, you know, he's stretching out and, you know, it's just a masterclass that season in centre-half play. Those images are burned into your head, aren't they? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And even the commentary for me, you know, I, I just associated the, the two. Um, the back pass rule, I wanted to ask you about that. Who, what, the people you spoke to in the game who were playing at that time, how did that, how did that change how they, they saw their job? And did that, was it, did it have a massive effect? Did they, men- did they talk about it much? It, I think. Other people talk about it more. There was a big thing that Liverpool really suffered with it because it, it was part of their game yeah. to get the ball off Clements and Grobola and play a bit. And then, obviously... Kill the game, couldn't you? Slow it down. That was a good outlet, wasn't it? Mm. They did it a lot. I mean, the game changed a lot. And obviously, in a way, you had to be... Because Hanson obviously retired just when that rule came in, but just before. So I think Hanson... Because everyone was like, oh, Hanson would have been the same player with the back pass rule. I disagree because no. you had to play. Yeah, he'd have played. He'd have played one twos with the goalie all day if he wanted. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, I I think it it it, it sort of it just focused centre halves' minds. You know, they had to, they had to. Uh, but I think it was a goalkeeping thing. I think goalkeepers had to really be on it suddenly, didn't they? Yeah, to pick the ball up is, a, is was a, it was a, it was a really good rule change. And football's not already always good at those, but that was a really good one, I think. <laughs> well, we won't get into VAR at the moment. No, please don't. No. Um, Captains, centre-backs making good captains. Um, there's a quote from <clears throat> Lawrence and said that Alan Hansen, he was a captain out of respect and he wasn't yeah. a shouter. Yeah. 
didn't yeah. park orders, but he led the team with quite authority. And I thought that was a great little little quote to sum Alan Hansen up. And it certainly came across like that. Whereas Tony Adams was the opposite way. And I, I want to talk about Tony Adams because if you think about Tony Adams' development as a footballer, mm. I would say he's possibly the um, the poster boy for an old style centre half emerging and developing over his career into a modern centre-back under Wenger. You know, he was a meat and two veg centre-half when he started under George Graham, but when under Wenger, I mean, you've, you've got him scoring that amazing goal to win the, t- win the title running through. He would never have done that under George Graham. And I think that's a good example of how the game has developed with one player as, as the example. Do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Tony Adams fascinates me. Always has done. Just to be... Growing up supporting Liverpool and watching Hanson play, and then seeing this rivalry emerge from Arsenal and this young centre half who took terrible stick just because he was, I think, because of the position he played. Mm. You know, he's square on to the game. He's always claiming offside. He's got a broken nose, and everyone calls him a donkey because he did. He did just boot the ball clear. Mm. But the thing with, with Tony, I think he he was frustrated as a young footballer seeing all the plaudits Hanson and Lawrence were getting playing out of defence because he felt he could do that. Mm. He felt he had, he had that in his locker totally, but he was being, he played the game the way his manager wanted him to play it. And that meant being four. George Graham used to have them training, running along in training on a rope. Ropes. So they were, so they were all in a kind of tandem, you know, in a unit. I mean, crazy stuff. And, and I think it frustrated Tony because he felt people weren't seeing his true ability. And I would also argue that, yeah, you mentioned Wenger, but I think Terry Venables getting hold of him for England prior to Wenger. Okay. If you look at the Euro 96, Tony's had a great tournament in both hitting people hard and being the captain and the the shouter and the the centre-half England. The centre-half England fans want, let's be fair. Yeah. England fans want that, don't they? Yeah. I think today they'd still like it, if I'm honest. That sort of, you know, England diehard fan wants the big... Clogger, <laughs> but Tony had so much more un, un, under his locker and in his locker, and he um, so working with Terry and then Arsene Wenger coming coming along and asking him to 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 form partnerships not just with his fullback and his centre half, but also with the likes of Vieira and Petit. Yeah, I think yeah, we helped him become what he was going to be one of England's best ever. Mm. No, it's it's. I mean, like I and. I hadn't appreciated that he was, he felt he was a better footballer under yeah. George Graham. I just thought that he, maybe in my mind, it was the coaching that he'd received. And yeah. I'm sure that was true as well, yeah. but it, he wanted to be, I think, he wanted. I think, I think uh, Man United tried to sign him. Interesting. Fergie tried to sign him before he got Pallister, maybe. Mm. So it would have been interesting to see how his game developed there. Not that Fergie was one for, for flash and halves. He wasn't having them at all. Yeah. No, of no, course. Well, defenders, yeah. I've got a couple more things that I picked up. Um, actually, no, I've got three more things. Um, the Dark Arts. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I love a bit of shithousery. <laughs> um, if Liverpool are winning and he brings James Milner on for the last 10 minutes, I know exactly what's going to happen. It's amazing. And <laughs> I'm always, always enthralled by that side of it. We might, we might see, see Milner at centre-half by the end of this. <laughs> well, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, we'll have a chat about Liverpool in a bit. But what you know, what sort of stories did you have about the, the dark arts from, from a centre-back? There's a well, lovely story about Waddle and Stuart Boehm. Is that in the same... 
Yes. Well, there's one chapter on the relationship between centre-forward and and centre-half, but the the story from Waddle was, because I've said it's like a football bar mitzvah that you kind of a rite of passage for a young young forward to get, to feel the the edge of someone's elbow, you know. (laughs) For Waddle, it was, Waddle, he was breaking through at Newcastle. He was actually training. And you know Waddle loved to step over and drop the shoulder. And he was doing it in training to a very traditional old centre-half called Stuart Boehm, you're right. And uh, put Stuart Bohm on his on his arse a couple of times uh, with his with his drop the shoulder stuff, and then got the ball again and thought I'll do that again, and just felt crack on his nose, and he's on the floor, blood everywhere. And Stuart Bohm leaning over him, saying, "I get I get a win bonus if I play on Saturday, and you making me look like that is a is jeopardising it." It's so such I, a <laughs> such a basic thing that you know that he wants to protect his employment he's got a mortgage to pay and this kid's you know putting that, kid on the way, that sort of thing <laughs> stop being good I've got a kid on the way um, but it is full of stories like that and centre halves centre halves have used all those tricks mm. uh, famous you know centre forwards aren't shrinking violets by the way they're, they're, they're you know centre halves have to take it as well as give it but that whole thing the first one's the first one's free you know um, I interviewed Kenny Burns, the ex-Nottingham Forest centre-half, who's hilarious. Um, he was in Brian Clough's successful team. And he, they used to run out at the city ground in the late 70s and um, they'd be warming up. And he'd, he'd hear a shout from the sidelines, Cloughy shouting, Kenneth, Kenneth, number 10, no shin pads. And that, <laughs> he, exactly, he knew exactly what that meant. And, and Burns told me that in, when he was starting out in the 60s, they had like little wooden studs. But in the stud was a pin. They were pinned in. So you'd, let, you'd, you'd scrape it. You'd scrape your stud on the concrete. The, the line over check your studs would come in and dress them and check them. And then once they'd been checked, you'd smack them on the, on the, on the ground and the pin would come out wow. a little bit. He said, oh, you could get a really nice, really nice cut there. Imagine <laughs> 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 that nowadays. It's, that's nuts. Um, yeah, it's all that sort of peaky blinder stuff. Mm. We all enjoy hearing, you know. I mean, it's it's now shithousery is much more. It's a bit more. It's it's sort of more subtle in the terms that no one gets hurt, which is a bit boring because it's more the diving aspect. I mean, I spoke to young centre halves who hate the fact they can't. There's a guy Joe Wall at Forest who's who really is jealous of the the likes of Kenny Burns. He he said, "I don't want to hurt anyone, but I like it. Would be great to have more of a physical challenge." Yeah. he said, I'm not even being physical, but people are rolling around her. Mm. You know, so I think that kind of leaves a slightly more... I think for us fans like it more if it's just in-your-face punch-up. Do you know what I mean? But we, we, <laughs> yeah, totally, but we don't get that now. There's a lovely story about Jack Charlton going past Stan... Stan defending against Stanley Matthews. Jack Charlton's... Do you, do you want to tell us about that? Jack Charlton's 20. Stanley Matthews is 40. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he, he fouls him. He, 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 he does what he has to do to Stanley, even though he's twice his age. And Stanley, being the sort of the knight of the realm gentleman, just stopped and said, "Son, why did you, why did you feel the need to do that?" <laughs> and he was like, full of reverence, like, "Oh God, I've just, I've just clattered the most lovable man in football." Yeah, <laughs> I'm very sorry, Mister Matthews. I think you, yeah. he said, <laughs> "Amazing." So, is the book out now? Yeah, it is. Let me let me show you. Ah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. Thou shalt not pass. I'll put a link in the um, in the description and um, for people. The actual, to t- the actual title came from a, an interview I did early on in the book with Terry Butcher, and he Terry was one for chest thumping and 
shouting at his, his players and his best, especially his back four and goalie. And he used to say, um, thou shall not pass to, before a game like that, you know. And he, he, he had loads of little, uh, loads of little slogans like clean sheets, no defeats. Love it. And I took him, I, t- I said, I said, close your eyes, Terry, and imagine you're at Old Trafford, one nil up, 10 minutes to go, and the Old Trafford crowd are getting really loud and they're, they're, it's all backs to the wall stuff. And you know what? I think there was a tear in his eye. <laughs> I think, oh, he, was, he was like, oh, that's my favourite place to be. Wow. And he used to say, in those moments, I'd shout to Russell Osman and uh, George Burley and Mick Mills and Paul Cooper and go and say, fix bayonets, lads, which meant <laughs> it's us in the trenches. Loads of, yeah. doing, writing about centre-halves, there's a lot of militaristic comments. Yeah. Come out, you know? <laughs> yeah. The trenches and all that stuff. Brilliant. Well, um, like I say, I'll put a link in the description for anyone. I'll get that off you later and then people will be able to buy it. But um, if you're watching this, you need to go and buy it. It's a great read. It really is. Let's have a little chat about Liverpool. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, a kind of, in a way, my marketing people at the publishers would be quite happy that centre-halves are being talked about so much. Yeah. Whilst yeah. the books come out. But it's I wish it hadn't been about, I wish it wasn't our team. Yeah. <laughs> you well, know we, what I mean? Because it really is... It's, it's the most relevant issue at our football club at the moment, isn't it? Let me dig that quote out. The first quote that I read in your book was, we need centre-halves who play every week. They give you steadiness, consistency, and continuity. And I was like, wow, that's like Alex Ferguson. And we're wondering why we've gone rubbish. You know what I mean? We play our 18th partnership. <laughs> playing kids who've played five games with a midfielder uh, I mean it's 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 bonkers I, I spoke to um, when I, like I said I spoke to Kelly Cates yesterday and I asked yeah. her the same question what's going on have you got any insight and she said it's not one thing it's we've got no center, you know we three three centre-offs at the beginning of the season senior centre-offs they're all out for the season that's that's part of it We've got midfielders playing there. That's part of it. We've got kids playing there. That's part of it. We've got our midfielders that should be playing in midfield, not playing in midfield. So that's another part of it. Um, the guy who was there to shake up the front line, who was looking like a world beater, he's been out for three months now. You know, Jota. So it's not one thing. It's like a, an aircraft. You ever watched that... Um, the air crash investigation thing. And it's never just one thing. It's like a combination of stupidness that's just gone on. Well, that's a brilliant analogy because I think it's the, the team that Klopp's built is a very fluid entity about wanting to be too, uh, you know, pretentious about it. But it's a very sort of like water. It all moves together. Yeah. I think if, if you lose those centre-halves, especially we're talking about the best player in his position in the world so you know that, 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 just on that level you're, you're missing quality I think when we beat Arsenal early in the season Arteta had set his team out well they went 1-0 up and then Virgil started pinging balls 60 yards to Trent and it was like I can't coach my team to stop that so yeah, completely. I think when you lose a player like that obviously you're losing what he brings but also the way the team's set up our most last season our most our best playmakers were our fullbacks, weren't they? Mm. And that, that their whole their whole freedom is given them knowing that Virgil Van Dijk and Gomez, especially, are so quick and good. the best one on one defender I've ever seen is Virgil Van Dijk. Well, we 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 so they can be left. We talk about having a back four, but we don't really. Mm. We be, we, no. defend, we defend with two one on one defenders really. So we play yeah. two 
And Fabinho drops in, and Fabinho is clearly a very good centre half. We've yeah. seen that this season. I think he, yeah. when he was playing there, he looked one of the best in the league. I thought. Yeah, of course, I had. So he just slips in, and it becomes almost a three. Sometimes mm. you can split it, and mm. the fullbacks have got that. And so, listen, the team might have been due a slump anyway. The amount of work they put into the last three years, but when you throw all these spanners into the airplane works, <laughs> it's going to go wrong, you know. So well, and it has. I was listening to a podcast, I think, on the Anfield Rap the other day, and one of the guys was saying, you know, people say, oh, you're moaning about you. Everyone has injuries. Well, hang on a minute. Let's look at any club, at any generation, and say your three centre... We've only got three senior centre-halves anyway, but your three senior centre-halves are all out for the season. Who would they be playing? And, and I think he was trying to look back and think, you know, if it was the era of... You know, the 80s, so Alan Anson's injured, Lawrence's yeah. injured, Gary Gillespie's injured. Then the guy that covers you is Steve Nichol from fullback. Well, let's say he's injured as well. Who, who the hell are they playing? And are they winning anything? No, they're not. Well, do you, funny you say that, because if you look at Kenny's, Kenny's last game, which people were talking about recently, the Everton 4-all game, he had, he had five, five fullbacks playing that day, that night. He had a sort of similar situation, I think. He had... In fact, for, for a couple of years with Hanson going, he had a lot. I mean, Ablett turned out to be half decent centre half, but he was a fullback. Well, Gillespie and Hanson had a lot of injury. Yeah, Hussein came in. Actually. Yeah, Glenn Hussein came in, and he he was in and out. But they had, I think, that night it was the back four was something crazy like Venison, Ablett. Um, I, don't, I think Nickel played in midfield, but it was it was it was basically the team sent fullbacks were playing there. So Kenny knows all about it. Yeah. And and yeah, and we, the goals we shipped in that night were, were awful. Yeah, I mean, no, uh, I, I, you can see on his face that it was just like well, I don't know what to do. Yeah, you know, yeah. he 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 become. I think he, I, if you read in his book, I think he he said I'd I'd almost become frozen. I couldn't make a decision. Well, and you know, I don't think Klopp's down that road, but he must. He's human. He's a human being, Jurgen, yeah. isn't he? He must be thinking as another one goes off. He must be like. How many ideas can I have to fill in it? Well, you, you see his face when the Henderson thing is. He's laughing. He's going, Jesus, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Henderson, you could hear shout, you're kidding. <laughs> Just what else would we all say? You know, you're kidding. But now I think it's down to the two he bought, I guess, uh, with the youngsters filling in now. And then he's just got to go for it and think, you know, let's see what they can do. I mean, it's going to be tricky. Hopefully Fabinho being back, he'll stay back. I'd play the two that he's bought and have Fabinho sitting in front. Would you? And because that frees, then Thiago can get on with his game a bit and Genie can get going forward more and see what happens there. You know, they bought these two players. They look, they've looked decent in patches, you know. Well, the, the Ben Davies is really interesting to me because out of yeah. the two of them, he was the one I was kind of excited about. Probably yeah. more from a, a romantic point of view. Yeah, we plucked yeah. him from obscurity and all the reports that I'd heard. And all the things that I read from Preston fans, from Preston manager, it was an interesting one. Did you see, um, I don't know whether I've said this on a podcast before, uh, Reese Williams is from Preston. And right. he did an interview months and months and months ago, way before that we were linked with Ben Davies. And he said, "Who, which defenders do you admire? And he said, well, obviously I play with the best one in the world, Virgil van Dijk, but there's a guy at Preston called Ben Davies and I hugely admire him. He's yeah. like a, an idol for me because of the way he plays football. And, you know, there's got to be something there. Now, the, the fact that he hasn't shoved him in, 
I don't know whether that's down to the fact that he's had a little knock, which I know he did. It kept him out yeah. of one game. But you would, I mean, Kabak, Kabak doesn't look. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I'm. You're talking to someone who thought David Ungo would come good at some stage, right? I just could see what he had. He had good feet. He was quick and he was tall, physical, but he never did. So I give people a long time. But yeah. looking at Kabak, to me, he doesn't look like he's going to be up to it. I can't really see what he's got. Well, he looked good. It's a funny one with the position. He looked good in the Champions League game. Which yes, he did. But he looked, I mean, walking off the game at Leicester, I think he walked off with their Turkish player. Cause, but he looked, yeah, you. he looked like he was saying to him, please help me. Where am I? <laughs> you know, God, he had run around, buzzed about him all day. And then, you know, from the first minute of the derby, I think they played a long ball and he had he could let it go out for goal kick and he headed it out for a corner mm. and it was like oh this guy's panicking it but maybe the European game he could be you know he could be our Traore this year maybe and we might <laughs> win us the European Cup I mean give, give yeah, him I think he's got a lot to learn but he's 20 isn't he he's only 20 give him the yeah. benefit of the doubt uh, I was just hoping that I think when before we signed him I was hoping he was going to be big which he isn't I was hoping he was going to be quick he doesn't look particularly yeah, rapid yeah. when we need quick defense. so I'm wondering what he's got and the, the fact that he's a he's a project is a bit of a concern because we don't need a project but I mean it was I guess it was down to who was available yeah. um, but it, it does concern me and I, I'd like to see I'm not saying Ben Davies is the answer but seriously you know can we give him a go because Kabak looks like he's going to need a bit of time. I'm not saying he's never going to be good, but he looks like he's going to be, need a bit of time. I'll give him benefit of doubt because Leicester, he looked shaky, and that's a good word to use. Um, Leipzig, he looked much better, much more composed, but did he get tested that much? And then against Everton, his home debut, maybe he was just a bit nervous. And he's, yeah. he is a young kid. It might have hit him that he's playing for Liverpool. So, you know, there's time, but it, it's, it's not promising at the moment, to be fair. I guess Klopp usually makes signings and then in the, those. in the tradition of Paisley, you know, put, keeps them on the sidelines a bit and lets them get into his way of thinking. We've seen great. Fabinho was one, wasn't he? Took his time and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Oh, yep. we, we just haven't got that luxury, and especially in this position. Mm. We need... That was the great thing about right, Van Dyke. You were buying quality, just quality there. Um, Allison as well. Allison, you know, and that's hard to find, especially in a January window. And mm. Let's not forget, we I think we were top of the league first of January, weren't we? So they were probably thinking Matip and Fabinho, they're doing all right, but that, that that's a risk because Matip's injury injury um, list is is quite long. So yeah, it's a tricky one because. He, he he probably wants to coach Ben Davis. He wants to he wants to to coach them both. Mm. But he hasn't got that luxury at the moment, mm. and that's probably mm. playing on his mind. Because he doesn't like Jurgen doesn't like putting players in quickly, does he? Unless they're that elite. And so you know, that's there was a, there was a funny bit in one of the press conferences. They they said I think it would have been before the Leicester game. And they asked him, like, is there a chance that Kabak or Davies are gonna are gonna play in the Leicester game? And he said, Well, we we had them in and we showed them a centre half movie <laughs> to show them how our centre halves defend. And I thought that's brilliant. Just like see that movie. You know, like a couple of kids in a kindergarten and you can't be asked looking after them anymore. Yeah, just throw that DVD on and then we'll go, let's go for a broken one and just leave them in the room. Maybe Einstein. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then they're just sat there like, oh, this is dead boring. <laughs> boring on each other. <laughs> totally. Oh, mate, it's, listen, it's been brilliant to talk to you. You too, Gav. And, uh, I appreciate you sending me the book and everything. I really enjoyed it. Um, where, where, where can people buy it? Is it out everywhere? You get, can you get it? Well, yeah, of course. You know, at the moment, it's it's all pretty much online. So the usual the usual suspects: Amazon, Waterstones. If if you know a local, if you know your local bookshop and they do online deliveries, then you know support your local bookshop. I, I suppose, but Perfect. Uh, but yeah, so it's on all, all the all the main ones too. Uh, is there any? Is there an audio book at all? Uh, I believe I believe they have found some actor to to read my words. I don't know if it's out yet. There's obviously a Kindle edition and everything. Yeah. But um, I believe so. I've, I've heard rumours that it's, yeah, that the Americans have bought it or something. So That's great. Maybe, maybe we're going to Hollywood. Maybe we can make a new centre-half movie for Klopp to show his kids. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the credits now. Thou shalt not pass in like granite. Or the movie. Yeah, like, like the beginning of Star Wars. That's what I like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Listen, Leo, thank you very much, mate. Uh, it's great to chat to you and, um, you know, <clears throat> good luck with the book. Thanks, mate. All right. Take care. See you later. Sports Social Podcast Network.